Hello, my name's Joanna Bailey. And I'm Tom Boone. Welcome to another new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, Joe is back as she reports on United Airlines' third quarter to see how the airline can be so optimistic in the face of an almost $2 billion loss. And I'll look at a rather extraordinary flight that Qantas recently operated. I'll talk a bit about Japan's new low-cost carrier Zipair, and Tom will give us an update on Lufthansa's A350s. Finally, you're more likely to get hit by lightning than have this happen to you on a flight. But what is it? Find out more later in the show. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. So we kind of missed having you on the podcast last week, Joe. So I wanted to let you start this week so everyone can have your lovely voice back. I should think so too. I do uh, feel quite jealous that you're recording without me, but uh, I'm glad to be back. It's good to be back. You've done it without me more times. (laughs) True, true. Podcast cheating. (laughs) So um, I wanted to kick off with a bit of feedback on United Airlines third quarter, which was really as dismal as we we thought it would be. Um, They posted a net loss of $1.8 billion um, in the face of revenues that were down 78% year on year. Um, Nothing surprising, really, when you consider that they're flying around 70% less capacity than they did this time last year. Um, But for some reason, the United executives, I was on the earnings call, and they found plenty of reasons to be cheerful. Now, you might think that's a bit odd in the face of an almost $2 billion loss and, you know, probably the worst year in their their history. Um, But the overall mood in in the United Airlines camp was one of hope and positivity, which was actually really nice for a change. Um, So, CEO of United, who's obviously Scott Kirby, um, he quoted a famous Churchill saying, a, a, a speech from Winston Churchill, which was given three years away from the end of the Second World War, where he said, now I'm not going to do my Churchill impression because it's terrible. Oh, please but... do, please. <laughs> now it's not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. <laughs> That's made my day. I told you it was terrible. <laughs> that has made my day. So Kirby thinks they've reached a turning point. The end of the tunnel's still a long way away, but they think they've reached the turning point. And he said that United's looking ahead to 12 to 15 more months of pain, sacrifice and difficulty, but that they've done what it takes in the initial phases to have some confidence. So what is it they're so happy about? Let's have a look. Um, Obviously, they're doing all the usual aircraft things such as sanitization, mandatory mask wearing. They were also the first in the US to remove the change fees. But really, this is fairly standard across the board. What they're doing that's actually quite different, um, one of the things is pre-flight COVID testing for flights to San Francisco, uh, from San Francisco to Hawaii. Um, Now, as you know, Hawaii's got a closed border at the moment. They're requiring quite extensive quarantine to be undertaken for any incoming passengers. So, you know, United has set up their own 
um, COVID testing facility for rapid tests, which it is not just the kind of extent of the issue. This is almost being seen as a guinea pig trial, if you like. It's a, If it works well, then they're going to be using it as a blueprint to hopefully open more markets. Um, so, you know, this is kind of stepping their toes in the water of how we can really return to travel in a safe and, and COVID safe way, I guess. Um, but that's not all. <laughs> so, United trimmed their cash burn down from an estimated 40 million a day to 25 million a day, which is pretty good going, you have to say. Um, they also secured their mileage plus loyalty program. I've done a bit of reading around about this, and it's incredible what loyalty programs are worth, particularly in the United States. It's it's insane. They're often worth, you know, two or three times as much as the airline itself. So using Mileage Plus as collateral, they um, they managed to secure a commercial loan um, and left it with liquidity of some $19 billion. So you can see even with that ongoing cash burn and, you know, a, an extended downturn, they think they've got enough money to get through the crisis. Um, and actually, they've begun to spend money again on places where it makes sense. So um, they've been pushing ahead with the Polaris uh, retrofit program. So this is upgrading a load of their Dreamliners to have the, the wonderful Polaris business class product. And Kirby believes that business demand is coming back, you know, to full capacity, if not more. Um, he believes that by 2024, we'll see business travellers right back where they were in 2019. Um, obviously, this has been up for debate because so many people are remote working for the first time ever and, you know, starting to see all yeah. the benefits that you and me know too well, Tom, of working you in know, our pyjamas and <laughs> never leaving the house. I, um, I kind of have to side with business travel coming back, at least in part, you know, even if it's not 100%, I think we could still get to 75% because... At the end of the day, I feel like a lot of business travellers themselves are not going to want to stop travelling because that can be a perk of a job sometimes is the travel Definitely. that you get to do. Um, but also, you know, like just, I mean, when we have our interviews face to face with like airline executives and stuff, and we're at the Paris Air Show actually seeing these products from our point of view, you know, you can't replace that with a Zoom call. No, you really can't. And, uh, you know, he, he quoted a, or he referenced a video that I went away and looked up. I've actually included it as an embed in my uh, in my coverage on the site. So do check it out. But it's from 1990. And it's a, a little kind of snippet. It was an ad for United where they um, it was kind of a businessman who said, oh, so and so our, our client of 30 years has sacked us today. And it's because somebody else went for a face to face meeting and we didn't. And he hands out all these airline travel tickets to all his staff and says, go and visit your clients in person because uh, there's nothing like doing business face to face. And like you say, Tom, this is exactly what Kirby's saying. You know, there's nothing to replace that face to face interaction. And he actually believes that remote working, even if it does persist longer term, having more people working from home, he thinks that could actually boost business travel in that they will need to return to their place of work maybe once a month or whatever to kind of check in with the bosses and, and meet with their teams. And he thinks that it might reshape 
business travel. You know, there might be many more remote workers that move out of the cities, but then have to fly back to kind of do those in-person meetings every now and then. So anyway, he thinks business travel's coming back. He wants to be the best business airline in the world. Obviously, the Polaris refits are all part of this. And he is also looking at putting United back into JFK. Um, so they left in 2015. And his, his phrase was, we're working very, very hard to use the pandemic as a way to get back into JFK. Now, obviously, it's a slot controlled airport. There were no slots. So when they left, that was it. The door closed behind them because other airlines picked up those uh, takeoff and landing slots. But with the pandemic, obviously, airlines are shrinking and pulling back from airports like JFK. And United believes it can grab those slots. Um, and he wants to return to JFK to pick up those business travellers and start operating transcontinentally across to Los Angeles and San Francisco. And yeah, as I say, be the best business airline in the world. So big words from the United Chief. Um, I guess we'll have to, what's the phrase, Tom? Watch this space. <laughs> yes, watch this space um, watch this is our space new phrase. See if, um, it, uh, if it materialises. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. They you won't still be getting... love that one. <laughs> I know, that's mine. Um, so a lot of really long flights operate from JFK. And speaking of JFK, um, so, sorry, long flights even, um, Qantas operated a really long flight the other day, which, I mean, is not, it's not out of the picture for Qantas to operate long flights. After all, um, pre-pandemic, they were flying nonstop from Perth to London, which is... I think the third longest flight in the world off the top of my head. So um, it may sound like nothing, but this long flight actually stands out at 8.5 hours. It was a flight to nowhere. Um, so this plane took off from Sydney airport, flew for 8.5 hours and then landed back at Sydney airport. And How you may be thinking, boring. yeah, you may <laughs> be thinking that, but that was not the case because um, this aircraft was operating flight Qantas 787. Um, cool flight number. Yeah. Um, so it took off from um, Sydney and started flying north up the coast. Um, and then when it got sort of around Brisbane, it um, dropped down from its cruising altitude to around 2,800 feet. Um, and it passed sites such as Colum Beach um, and just sort of the um, town. And because obviously it's quite hard to travel around um, internally in Australia as well because of border closures. Um, mm. This meant that the passengers were able to sort of see the city without seeing the city, if the, you know what I mean. <laughs> um, one thing that I did like was that um, a load of lifeguards had gone down onto the beach and sort of in big red letters um, written, visit us for real um, oh, for the passengers nice. to see. <laughs> Um, but that wasn't the end of it. They didn't just like turn around and go back to Sydney. They carried on up the coast um, and um, after cruising again at a, a quite a high altitude, they dropped back down um, over, I think it was Hamilton Island. Oh, right. Um, yeah, Hamilton Island, um, where it went as low as 1,500 feet, um, cool. giving passengers sort of a view of the sites there, including the Great Barrier Reef. Um, nice. Which I think is pretty cool, you know, like um, they got to see these things. It sort of, it didn't just fly straight over it, it looped around a bit um, around a reef called the Heart Reef as well, because um, it's oh, heart shaped. Um, nice. So if you were sat on the left or right, you got to see it, you know, you didn't miss out um, because That's you were on either clever. side. 
Yeah, Although you in wouldn't general, want everyone you know, like... piling into one side to look out the window, would you? Yeah. Um, for most of the flight, though, obviously, just going up the coast, you know, half of them had views of Australia and half of them had views of the ocean. Oh, well. Um, but after, it still didn't just turn around at this point. Um, it actually started to head inland and it flew to um, Uluru, which I think a lot of people know as Ayers Rock. Um, it's just a big sort of red stands, sandstone rock that um, mm-hmm. everyone knows about Australia. Um, and Qantas had sort of secured special permission to flow, f- to fly really low over this site. So they dropped right down to a couple of thousand feet again um, and sort of did a sort of big semicircle around the rock and then another rock formation nearby. Um, and then that really was the end. After that, um, it cr- climbed back up to... 31,000 feet, I think, and carried on to Sydney where it had a straight-in approach. Nice. Um, so I think that's quite cool because, you know, you get to see all these sites and um, it's you may be thinking, like, oh, like the flight in between is going to be boring. But, you know, you're on Qantas's flagship aircraft at the moment with the A380 grounded. You know, there's going to be plenty of films on the in-flight entertainment oh, yeah, system. definitely. I guess they got um, snacks and drinks as well. Yeah, they had developed a special menu just for this flight. Um, and um, I think passengers got a special pillow just to commemorate this flight. And Aww. I've still got my BA100 pillow from the first A350 flight. It's on the sofa. <laughs> I've got it's... my iHeart A350 pillow from uh, from my Virgin flight. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if we were supposed to take them or not. But... <laughs> I, we, we were actively encouraged to take our pillows because they said, oh, like, even the people in economy, you know, they said to everyone on the intercom, just feel free to take these pillows because they're never going to be used again. <laughs> Oh, fair enough. <laughs> so um, that's where my pillow came from, but it only just fit in my suitcase. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, it sounds I mean, cool. I mean, I'd love them to do something like that in this country. I mean, it would be so mm, cool, wouldn't it, to fly it over would. Edinburgh Castle I mean, and the Giant's <sighs> Causeway and, you know, I mean, down to Newquay Beach or something. I don't know. It would just be very cool. They've done these things um, or s- sort of similar when new airplanes come in. I think Virgin flew over some cool sites and BA did uh, with their A350s just to get photos, but um, there were no passengers on them. But I think in general, sort of... I know Lufthansa, for example, is we're not doing um, any flight to nowhere because it doesn't fit in with our sustainability policy, which... I think that's the same issue we'd have in the UK. Yeah. I mean, there'd be such I mean, a fuss kicked up about carbon emissions, even if they offset them or use sustainable fuel or something. Yeah, and I mean, especially just like with the number of job cuts that have been touted sort of on this side of yeah. the world, it's... it's Probably it's seen as hard. quite wasteful. <laughs> yeah, it's like why you spend. Although you're, you would be making money on it because you'd be charging passengers to get on this flight. But it's yeah, kind of seen as and giving a whole plane's worth of flight attendants and yeah. and pilots something to do for the day as well. Yeah. But uh, there we go. Mm. I don't think they'll they'll happen in this country. Watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I will. Um, so my uh, next little bit is uh, about a new airline that's really captured my imagination. I, I'm always going on about this airline, and it's uh, it's called Zipair. <laughs> I do love it very much. It's called Zipair, and it's um, owned by Japan Airlines, um, and it's a low cost carrier for Japan. And there's not many of them in Japan, so it's quite a new and exciting thing Um, and there was much excitement at the start of the year because they were supposed to start flying in May um, and they wanted to operate to um, Bangkok from Tokyo's Narita Airport and also to uh, Seoul. Seoul? Seoul. You just say Seoul, don't you? (laughs) Seoul. 
So See, I don't know. So someone gonna someone so. is going to write in and tell us. So yeah, um, they always we'll do. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but unfortunately, due to obvious issues and border closures, they weren't able to take off as planned. Um, they have actually been flying. Um, they've got two Boeing 7878s and they've been flying since June, um, but only with cargo on board. So um, they've been filling in the gaps in the cargo market between the same destinations because they had mm-hmm. all the permissions to fly in the slots and everything. Um, but last week, they finally, yay, took their first passengers from um, Narita to Seoul. And I noticed was... that you said passengers, the plural there. Yeah, just. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little Z. They only had two passengers on board. Um, and according to reports, it was a Japanese man and a Korean woman. Um, so a nice mix of diversity there, you know, plenty of uh, representation across the uh, across the nationalities and genders. Um, yeah, there were just two. And um, the airline's president, Shingo Nishida, attended the airport for a little ceremony where he wished them well and told them all about the um, safety measures that the airline's putting in place and gave some interviews. And these poor two passengers the photos of them they look completely overwhelmed you know there were tons of airline crew there were journalists there was the president of the airline there was the the guy from the tourism board in in uh, uh, taiwan and oh it was just insane i mean um, i'd always i always love to think that these people have just innocently booked a, a flight and, they've <laughs> and just, they're just like you what? know when we took the A three the BAA three fifty to Madrid, I was just thinking how many people in economy are just trying to get Mad- to Madrid, and they're wondering why there's loads of journalists and okay. uh, Alex Cruz <laughs> on the flight and yeah. cupcakes. Oh, I did feel for them. They looked a bit uh, rabbit in the headlights, sort of expressions on their faces. But they were rewarded with some commemorative items. They got the usual lanyard sticker, key ring. Um, they also got a COVID care kit, which uh, there wasn't really any detail what was in it, but I just imagine it's. How hand sanitizer and wipes and things mm. like that. Um, and, and I mean, both of them that's a flight traveled- they'll never forget. True. <laughs> and both of them travelled in the business class cabin. Uh, obviously, I don't know if they booked that or if they just got upgraded because there really wasn't anybody else on the flight. Um, but uh, the the Zipper 7878 has fully flat business class, a really lovely looking cabin, which is obviously unusual for a low cost carrier. Also unusual is they're doing free Wi-Fi. Um, they've got that through Panasonic and um, a Collins Aerospace designed smartphone ordering system. So you don't have to interact with the crew to get your food and beverage or your duty free items on board. You just uh, there's like a portal on your phone or your tablet and you just go on there and order what, whatever you want and they deliver it to your seat. So it's pretty cool. Um And despite the fact there was only two passengers, Nishida said he wasn't at all bothered because the cargo demand is that strong that the cost of the flight's basically being covered by what's in the belly of the plane. Um, So obviously he'd have liked more than two passengers on board, um, but it hasn't put him off. They're already planning to ramp up the service to Seoul. um, So from uh, later on this week, they'll be going uh, three times a week instead of two. Um, And they're also beginning service to Bangkok from the 28th of October. Now, obviously Thailand's not allowing international passengers to arrive at all. Um, So what they're doing is they're just flying cargo on the way out and then bringing people back to Japan. And there are apparently quite a few Japanese people still stranded in Thailand or in that area um, who will be enjoying a lovely flight back on Zip Air, maybe in the fully flat business class. Um, 
And more excitingly, later in the year, they also want to fly to Honolulu, which I think is going to be awesome. Um, so oh, they've got the so they're competing with um, our good friends ANA with the A380, I see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can go fully flat on a low-cost carrier to Hawaii from Japan. But um, you so don't have turtles on the side of the plane. No, I'd rather go you on the A380. You just have a green line. Yeah, <laughs> true. But you can order your food from your smartphone and there's free Wi-Fi. So swings and roundabouts, Tom, swings and roundabouts. But they have special <laughs> cocktails on the ANA A380. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know which one I'd pick, but I do love Zip Air. So they've mm. got their e-tops for Hawaii. They've got several permissions granted. There's still a few bits and pieces to sort, which should be done by the end of the month. Um, Nishida said that they will be ready to fly in November, which is pretty soon. Uh, mm. But of course, they've got to wait for Hawaii's borders to open before they can begin service. I mean, so. I do remember I wrote a piece um, before that um, Hawaii was kind of considering Japan as one of the countries it wanted to open its borders to. So, I think they get an awful lot of tourism yeah. from well, that Well, they side. must do if A&A can think they can fly free A380s. Free A380s, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Permanent rotations. That's yeah. a lot of people. Um, yeah. So I think it would be good for Hawaii and for Japan if they did open up a, hmm. a travel corridor or a bubble or whatever they want to call it. But uh, until that happens, I guess Zip Air will just be zipping around in uh, Southeast Asia for mm. now. <laughs> nice so, pun. Tom, um, from... Uh, I don't know how I can segue this really. So just tell me about the Lufthansa A350. (laughs) (laughs) So I am super excited um, about this piece of news because like regular listeners know that I spend all day every day just sat and watching out my window, seeing planes go past my window. Um, And typically, you know, like we get a couple of A380s from carriers such as Qatar, you know, Asiana, um, the odd Cafe Pacific. but now we're actually going to start seeing Lufthansa A350-900s landing at Frankfurt because, um, quite frankly, the reason is because they're just sat around doing nothing in Munich. Um, and you may think, well, if they're sat around doing nothing in Munich, why are they coming to Frankfurt? You know, um, They are going to be replacing two aircraft types in Frankfurt. The first one is going to be the uh, Boeing 747-8 to Chicago and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you may be sort of thinking, why why bother? Well, the A350 has 12% um, more fuel efficiency than the 747-8. So um, what that means is every time the A350 flies to Los Angeles or Chicago instead of a 747, Lufthansa is using 12% less fuel, which has two benefits. Obviously, you're using less CO or putting less CO2 into the atmosphere, um, but you're also spending less money on fuel. Yeah, which um, is important right now. You know, like even if you spent like a thousand pounds filling an airplane, uh, random figure, that's probably totally wrong, but <laughs> say you spent a thousand pounds filling an airplane. Um, with a 12% saving, you're only spending, what, like £8,800, um, which adding up over all the flights is going to be a sort of significant saving. Um, so that's kind of the first one is um, instead of the 787, uh, 747-8s. Um, but they're also going to be replacing the seven um, the A340-300 to uh, Tokyo 
from December. And that's also one that's going to save a lot of um, fuel efficiency. I'm the A340 is still flying at all. I mean, that's kind of an old quad jet and it must be burning yeah. through the fuel. Yeah, you know, like, I, I mean, um, I went on one a couple of months ago, not just on the ground in the hangar, but it, it, felt, it felt quite dated to me, you know, like just the whole airplane in general. Yeah. Um, they're but, they're yeah, well so, on their way out, I think. So um, we're going to have a total of uh, four A380s coming to Fra- uh, A350s coming to Frankfurt um, for the time <laughs> Freudian being. Freudian slip, you wish. <laughs> yeah, well, we have six A380s at Frankfurt. They're just not going anywhere. True. Um, it's really sad because I always see them flying to or from the airport. Um, but they're going to the four A350s are going to be at Frankfurt for the duration of the winter timetable, the IATA one, until March. Um, but obviously, the next problem that this presents is that Lufthansa's A350 cabin crew and pilots are based in Munich. Um, so we're going to continue using the um, Munich crew, but flying from Frankfurt. So I just assume that means... Um, the shuttle flights between the two airports are going to have a lot of deadheading staff on. I guess so. They'll have to, won't they? But Unless they're yeah, going to I mean, put them up in uh, Frankfurt for, for God knows how long. Which I well, don't I mean, see if they are in Frankfurt, say hi. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, but that's not all there is about the A350. And I also wanted to talk about an A350 flight from Munich. Okay. Um, and as we're all aware... Berlin's new airport will finally be opening in under two weeks. I don't believe it. (laughs) Insert fanfare tune. (laughs) Um, And obviously this means that um, the old Tegel airport will close. And a lot of people have a lot of memories at Tegel, which meant that sort of Lufthansa was um, found that its final flight from Tegel was really selling well. Um, right. So what they've done is they've swapped the sort of typical A320 with an A350 wide body, um, which has added a lot of seats to this um, flight, as is understandable. Um, and that means that the last Tegel to Munich flight, or the last even Lufthansa flight from Tegel, will now be operated by the A350. Nice. So um, that's taking off on the 7th of November, because as we all know, the last or the last, last flight will be on the 8th of November with Air France. Um, right. Who well, That's quite a nice story as well, because did you know that Air France was actually the first air- airline to land at the airport when it opens? Oh, no, I so didn't. So it's kind fully of like, bookended. Yeah, closing <laughs> the chapter that it opened. Um, nice. So, I mean, we're sort of excited to see Berlin opening finally, and I'm sure we will speak about it on the podcast soon. But... While we're on today's podcast, I wanted to find out, you know, you said that um, you're more likely to be hit by lightning than have this happen to you on a flight. But what are you talking about, Joe? Have you guessed yet, Tom? Well, <laughs> I mean, I, I know the answer, so oh, that gosh, would be um, rude of me to say yes. Um, Fine, I won't put spoilers. that on the next uh, remote pub quiz that we do. But uh, <laughs> no, apparently, according to 
IATA, you're more likely to be struck by lightning than to catch coronavirus on a plane. Good news. <laughs> so this, um, this information was revealed at a rare press conference that brought together all three equipment manufacturers or major equipment manufacturers and the International Air Transport Association, which we all know as IATA. So we had Boeing, Airbus and Embraer all in the house together, which was lovely. Wow. You never see these, these guys all come Especially Boeing together. and Embraer being friendly at the moment. Sounds yeah, a bit... it, was, it was really nice, actually. Um, and all four, the three OEMs and IATA, had all done their own separate studies of in-flight COVID transmission. So um, to reference the lightning uh, issue, the IATA study indicated that just 44 people had been documented to have caught coronavirus on a flight um, between kind of the outbreak of the pandemic and now. And that was out of some 1.2 billion passengers flown. So one in every 27.3 million travellers. Um, and for perspective on this, uh, the Centers for Disease Control says the risk of a lightning strike in America is one in 1.2 million people. So the way I had to phrase this was that even if they had missed 90% of the cases of onboard transmission, you were still twice as likely to be hit by lightning as you were to catch COVID on a plane. And Interestingly, all 44 cases that have been identified as having caught coronavirus on a plane was from before masks were a regular thing. So obviously that risk has even been lowered again. So all of the other studies, like, like I say, that was the IATA side of things. And all of the OEM studies, they were conducted in isolation, all used very different methods of testing how viral transmission might happen on a plane. But all three, interestingly, arrived at a very similar conclusion. So um, Airbus, for example, they did a very kind of paper-based uh, research. So they used some very advanced modeling software and computational fluid dynamics, <laughs> which I don't really understand, um, to simulate the spread of viral particles around an aircraft cabin. And then they compared that to a non-aircraft environment. So um, their research found that when you're wearing masks, you achieve the equivalent of physical distancing of at least six feet, even if you're sitting next to somebody. So this is all because the airflow in a cabin is vertical. It goes from top to bottom um, because of the HEPA filters, because of the way aircraft air is recycled so rapidly. Um, so yeah, basically when you're sat next to somebody on a plane, it's the equivalent of being six feet away from them in another environment. Um, so Boeing went a bit more real life with their research. They used real people and um, they actually used synthetic and live human safe viruses. So they actually infected these people with real actual viruses um, to test how they would spread through coughing and breathing in different areas around the cabin. Um, so they, they weren't like making them sick. They were human safe. So they were viruses, but viruses that don't harm us, basically. Um and so they checked how um, the viral spread changed with masks on or off, how it changed with the air vents, which they love to call gaspers. I love that word. <laughs> so the overhead air vents switched on and off. And they found that sitting next to somebody on a plane was the same as standing seven feet away in an office or another building. Pretty much the same conclusion that Airbus arrived at as well. Um, now, Embraer, uh, Boeing did their research on an actual plane, two actual planes, a 767 and a 777. Um, Embraer, not wanting to put one of their lovely aircraft out of service for any length of time, built a real-life 
e-jet cabin in their hangar and used um, a variety of air quality sensors and lasers and all sorts of cool tech to see how viral particles would be spread from breathing and coughing in different places on the plane. So it found the cough mass, which is a horrible term, but it's basically the the viral particles within a passenger's breathing zone were at 0.13% without a mask and 0.02% with a mask. So both figures are incredibly low, um, but they're even lower when you wear a mask. So I think the the message there is fairly clear. Um, And outside of these studies, there was also another one that came out last week, which was with the Department of Defense in the US and United Airlines. Um, And they used mannequin heads. You've got to check out the photos. They look so freaky. (laughs) It's just like a a disembodied head kind of strapped to an airplane seat um, on wide body aircraft. And they found that you'd need to fly for a minimum of 54 hours next to somebody who had COVID to get any sort of infectious load. So, I think overall, you know, the message, it, obviously, it's coming from airlines and manufacturers. So, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, it's biased. But, you know, they're real scientists doing this research. There's real universities involved and it's peer-reviewed. And, you know, I think airplanes at the moment are one of the safest places to be because of the natural way they are, their architecture works and the airflow works. You know, you're far safer on an airplane than you are in the supermarket, let's say. Um, but, you know, obviously people are going to take a bit more convincing than that to fly. And there's obviously issues with kind of passing through airports and, um, you know, all the stuff that goes with travel that's not involving an airplane. So uh, does it make you feel any better hearing all these uh, facts and figures, Tom? Uh, You know, it's it's an interesting one because, I mean... I feel like in general it would make me feel better, but I'm already sort of fairly convinced that air travel is in itself is safe anyway. Um, you know, like I feel, I, I mean, I flew Ryanair yesterday morning and everyone was wearing their masks. No one needed to be told you need to wear a mask. You know, everyone was just following the rules. I think actually the problem more was that um, we just had to queue to get on the plane in sort of quite a tight little corridor. Um, you See, know, yeah, I think that's, that's going to be worse comes, than isn't it? actually yeah. sitting on the plane. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I feel people are ready to fly and people want to fly, but yeah. all these other issues need to be ironed out. You know, the yeah. border restrictions and <laughs> what happens at the airport. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I, I, I did find these studies fascinating and particularly the, the different ways that everybody went about testing it and the fact yeah. they all kind of arrived at the same conclusion was uh, no, really I interesting. Mean, I did find that sort of 54 hours figure quite quite stunning. I think I'm going to have to use that to, in my argument to say how flying <laughs> is safe going forwards. Definitely. I liked mm. it. I liked it a lot. And uh, all good news that we need to be hearing right now in these yeah, turbulent exactly. times. So I think that's probably about all we've got time for for today's podcast. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. And as usual, we welcome your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.